This is the Mailbox Money Podcast, and I am Bronson Hill. As a busy professional, I wrestled with how to grow my income without taking up more of my precious time. I learned that managing real estate, actively trading stocks, or being unable to scale up investments is not passive investing. This is the place where you'll discover new asset classes, develop investing skills, and learn from experts how to become financially free with less work than you thought possible. And now, get ready for truly passive income. All right, so what does it look like to have your multifamily or your investing portfolio function like a Ferrari, like a sports car going super fast? And answer that question. I have a friend of mine, I have Joshua Ferrari here in the house, going to be talking about how to get your business humming, your passive portfolio humming, and get you as an individual humming. So hope I didn't build you up too much there, Joshua, but welcome. <laughs> You know, it's funny. I don't think anyone's ever actually introduced me as the guy who can get your portfolio humming. I kind of liked it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, when you're standing next to like a, you know, a Geo Metro or some you know crappy old car, and then you stand next to a Ferrari, I mean, you can, you hear the engine purring. It's like, you just know something different is under the hood there. So when you're on a Ferrari, <laughs> by the way, I love that you've used Ferrari capital. It's an awesome way to go, man. But give, give the listeners just a, a little bit of a background on yourself. I know you got a big presence on social media. You're doing a ton of stuff in the multifamily space. Just give people a, a quick intro to who you are. Yeah. So Josh Ferrari uh, started investing in real estate back in January of 2018. was 21 years old at the time, had no prior experience in investing or anything for that matter. My dad calls me up one random day, says he's getting ready to retire after 30 years in the Navy. And guess what? He's not ready for retirement. And him and my mom are getting ready to start flipping houses. And I was like, well, that's about the craziest thing I ever heard. And I really just <laughs> laughed at him after he told me that. But that was the the simple beginning, the simple conversation that really sparked my, my interest and catapulted me into the business. So yeah. it was immediately thereafter, my wife and I jumped into wholesaling, tried that for six months, didn't close a single deal. Wow. Pivoted, realized we didn't want to build a wholesaling empire and bought a fourplex. It was the house hack it. And then ultimately we were just going to keep house hacking until we got where we wanted to be. Um, and that didn't quite pan out. Bought the fourplex about two and a half years later, lost $60,000. So a lot of headache, heartache, strife, financial stress. And we we're newly married too. So you can imagine newlyweds in this horrible financial predicament. And it works often when we got married, it was not the best thing for the marriage. So there was a lot of uh, lessons learned, um, but we made it through made it through all that. And through that process, one of the main things that we did learn was that we really didn't have clarity on the lifestyle we wanted to live. We wanted financial independence, right? Everybody wants that, but I didn't. I didn't understand the avenue we had to pursue to get there. And so once we got clarity on the actual lifestyle, like long term vision goal, we were trying to achieve. We were able to kind of reverse engineer that and make the decision that large scale multi was really what was going to be able to get us there. So we made that decision about four years ago. Fast forward two years, I've had a mentor. I found my two business partners, got very serious and, and focused on what I wanted to do. And then 23 months ago to date, we uh, closed our first deal. It was a 42 unit here locally in Southern Alabama. And since then, we've closed over 768 units. We've got over $63 million asset center management, raised over $23 million from passive investors, started a podcast that you've had the privilege of being on now that has over 600,000 downloads uh, about two and a half years ago. Um, I was able, I started actually started my own mastermind to teach other investors how to be financially literate and create their own seven to nine figure syndication business, get out of their day job, had about 
uh, four or five guys do it so far. Um, and then I was able to officially quit, right? Fish quit, quit That's corporate great. America, retire, go full-time in my real estate investing business from the passive income generated, um, about four or five months ago. Wow. Congrats, man. That's awesome. I didn't realize that you're only 25, man. You carry yourself, you don't look like you're, you know, thirties, forties, but you carry yourself well, man. So congrats. That's really incredible. I always meet people. I, I meet consistently. I meet people that are young that have just done amazing things. And I'm like, man, I wish I had gotten the message sooner. Right. And I think a lot of <laughs> listeners are like, man, I wish I had started investing, you know, years ago. And there's that saying the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, but the second best time is today. Right. And so, you right. know, it's just, you get it when you get it and you do it when you do it. But um, I, I really admire kind of what you're doing because you, you have a successful podcast. You've got obviously this big real estate operation that you've done. You and and, and your journey is not uh, it's unique because you did it very young, but it's not unique in the sense that like people try different things within real estate before they find like oh this is it. And you kind of found multifamily. What what kind of went into that process for you? Because then a lot of people like I had you know four or five single family houses and I was trying different things. I did an options trading strategy. I lost. $70,000 in one day on, which was very defeating, whatever. But I realized like, I'm not an options trader. Okay. I, I can do a lot of other things, but <laughs> that's not my gift. Right. But for you, how did you like, obviously your parents kind of helped to get you going in that, but how did you find your way along to larger multifamily? Because honestly, to buy a 42 unit, a lot of people don't think, oh, I bought a duplex. It didn't work. Now I'm going to go buy a 42 unit. So how did you like, how did you bridge that? Yeah. So it was a lot of conversations. It was a lot of networking. It was a lot of education. Because as we were trying to get the clarity about what we wanted, you know, that was the first thing we had to do. So I actually read a book called Vivid Vision by Cameron Harold. I've read the book. Uh, it's a great and, book. Yeah. yeah, right, right and smack dab in the middle of losing the process of losing 60 grand and going through this just massive headache of a fourplex, quickly realizing that the plan of going from fourplex to fourplex to fourplex wasn't really going to be the answer. It wasn't going to be the solution. It wasn't going to help us live the life we wanted. Matter of fact, I was spending significantly less time with my family than I ever was before having gotten into real estate in the first place. Cause I was doing most all the work myself. I was working a 50 hour weekday job, barely making, you know, making ends meet and then spending another 30, 40 hours a week on the actual house renovations. Uh, so after realizing it wasn't sustainable, it wasn't something I wanted to do long-term and then reading that book and just understanding the concept of what clarity can do for you. Uh, we actually went on what we now call our annual Vivid Vision Retreat, which was we went to the, the Tennessee in the mountains in the middle of nowhere, no Wi-Fi, no connection to you know the outside world kind of thing. Just get out there. And, and it was before we had a daughter, um, before we had a dog. It was literally just the two of us. So we went out there and just kind of were like we just existed and and had a lot of time to think and be together and map out what our future actually was going to look like because it, it more often than not a lot of couples or individuals even don't take the time to really just think about like get in a peaceful quiet position and think about what they want long term they have ideas they have bullet points in their head like oh well, i want to be financially free but i'm 30 and i want to do this by this time i really like to be out of this day job and i really like to make $50,000 a month of passive income. And they got these little bullet points goals, but it's not really motivating them to want to actually achieve the goal. And it's not motivating other people to want to help them achieve the goal because other people don't understand what it is that you want. And a lot of your goals are very beneficial to you and not them. So it doesn't really motivate others. So when I read that book, Vivid Vision, and I found out that my own personal vision can not only motivate me to another level, but it can motivate everyone around me and can like help, help, help me find business partners. 
It could help me find a mentor. It could help me do so many things. I was like, well, this is phenomenal. This is something I got to do. So they, they have a company that they actually are like partnered with the vivid vision people uh, called conscious copy. And so I reached out to them because I was never really a copywriter. And I was like, well, maybe they can help me out. Well, they wanted to charge like five to six grand to do it. And I'm like, here I am up to my eyeballs in debt, you know, barely got any cash to my name. I don't got five to six grand to put into something like this. So I really had to just sit down in my quiet time in my peaceful places, you know, go to the beach, go uh, to the backyard, walk around, have a notebook and pencil pen in hand, get away from the phone, get away from the notifications. And really just think about what it is that, that we wanted. Um, same thing we did in in the mountains. So once we got the clarity and figured that out, and I was actually able to like draft the vision itself, it's sitting here in front of me now. Um, and once we got that, that was when I realized we were going to have to do something on a larger scale. And as I, we were going through the process of figuring out what we wanted to do, we were fig- I had already read uh, Joe Ferris's big red book, the mm-hmm. best ever, like you know, apartment syndication advice or something. Um, and I had seen and heard about syndication a handful of times. And uh, I was intrigued about the concept, but I just didn't know a lot about it. But I was like, I don't care that I don't know a lot about it. I didn't know a lot about wholesaling before I got started. I didn't know a lot about this fourplex before we got started. And granted, we're losing money here, but you know, it's, you're not always going to know everything. You just got to kind of take the leap of faith. So took the leap of faith, made that our vision, made that our goal, made that what we wanted to do. And then once I got really serious about it, it wasn't but like a month later, that I found my mentor who actually ended up being an organic mentor, not one I had to pay for uh, just strictly through networking and the rest is history. Yeah. It's amazing how um, I I love the process and the order that that happened because you took time to get really clear on what it is you wanted. And that book, vivid vision by Cameron Harold, it's a great book. I went away to a mountain for a couple of days and just like, what do I want? What do I want to create? What does this look like? Whatever. And Super helpful because you write it down and the idea as a family member, as a, you know, a spouse, as a leader, as whoever in your company, like you have an idea where you want to go, but nobody else knows what's in your mind. And you may think it's super clear, but it's not. And so just getting really clear on what you want is really, really important. I think for passive investors too, it's something that, um, you know, we got to get clear on, do we want to, you know, is the goal to leave my job is the goal to replace my income with passive uh, income or to replace living expenses with, you know, passive income and all those things are possible, but you got to get it clear on what you want first. And so once you get clear, it gives you the vision to be able to do it. So that's awesome. So you did it. And basically everything now is, has happened. You quit your great job and you were a great, you know, air, aircraft mechanic, you won rewards in that and did all kinds of stuff. And now you're uh, doing what I do and you do podcasts and travel and go to events and all kinds of stuff and are, you know, a dad and all that. So what, uh, what, has there been anything that surprised you about the journey that kind of looking back over the last few years of like, oh man, like I just, I didn't know that this would be this hard or this easy, or I wish I had done this, or is there something like about that, that you'd say, huh, I just wish I had known that, or wish I had tried that. Or is there a common thing that you see among investors? that's like, oh, I wish I could just shake them and show them this. Yeah, there's a lot, honestly. There's a lot of things that I would like to think that I'd like to do over again, specifically with the fourplex, losing so much money, starting off in the business in such a hole. You know, instead of starting at least from ground zero, where most people start and being able to grow, we started in the negatives. Uh, and so it was more difficult. Uh, and so sometimes I, I think back and I'm like, man, 
Should we have just gone big? Should we have just done like the first deal we ever did? Should just have that have been the 42 unit or 50 unit or 100 unit? Because a lot of people think that they need to start small and they need to start with single family and eventually grow and do larger stuff. And that's great for some people. You know, maybe that's just the way that your mind was wired and maybe that's what makes you feel comfortable and that's okay. Nothing against that. But it's not because it's impossible to do it the other way. Like you're not, some people convince themselves that it's impossible to get started in the big stuff. So they have to do the small stuff, but they really want to do the big stuff long-term anyway. And you can get in immediately and do a large deal. I mean, I was negative $60,000 in the hole and closed a 42 unit, made almost 200 grand and profit on it in a 16 month time frame, having none of my own money into the deal. So it's, it's definitely possible. It's just a matter of meeting the right people, knowing the right things, knowing how to execute, Getting the education is another big thing. Uh, I think one of the, another big lesson I learned with the fourplex was that we tried to do it all by ourselves. I thought mm-hmm. that because it was a small deal um, and there wasn't a lot of pie to go around that I needed to have hundred percent in order for it to make financial sense. Um, and couldn't have been further from the truth because now, you know, sure. I got hundred percent of the air quote reward if everything turned out, but I also had hundred percent of the risk. Uh, which really screwed me because there was a lot of things that went wrong with that deal. And I had to absorb all of that. And it was detrimental to our financial health. Um, But I didn't let that stop me. Right. Didn't let it just get me down and be like, well, you know, first deal, that's everyone's worst case scenario. Right. When you're getting started in investing, when you're thinking about investing in real estate, mailbox money, it all sounds great. But um, some people are just so scared, so fearful of losing money on their first deal. Yeah. They're like, ah, I'm just not going to do it in the first place. And that's exactly what happened to me. Lost money on the first deal. So you'd think it would be defeating and I would like be quitting. But instead, I felt like it was more motivational because I had to now dig myself out of the like even deeper. Like there's got to be gold down here somewhere, right? got to keep digging. And I'll find it eventually. All these other people will find <laughs> it. Honestly, my main motivation was that I was seeing all these other people around me in the business of similar background to me seeing success and i was like if they can do it i can freaking do it like it's they're not any i mean i'm not calling them idiots but it's not like they're much smarter than me they're not they don't know this thing or they're not created this weird like whatever system that isn't repeatable you know if 90 percent of the world's millionaires are doing so through real estate then that's a lot of people that have found success in this business there's got to be something that i'm not doing right that i need to tweak or someone that I need to bring in to help me, which was ultimately what I came to the conclusion of. So the first deal we did, trying to do it all by myself, then making the decision I wanted to get larger. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna start bringing other people's cash into this. I can't screw up. I can't mess up. I need to know more. So actually getting a mentor and finding someone who could help me, help guide me through the process and who had done it before, I think was massively beneficial and helped me really get into the business more effectively as opposed to getting into it the same way I did with the fourplex of just dilly dallying around and losing more money. Yeah, no, I agree. I want to, you shared a lot of great things there. Um, You know, I look at a business loss, you know, there's a story that I have where I was in a room about 50 people and the speaker was at a real estate meetup. And he's like, how many of you lost more than $50,000 in a single real estate deal? And like five or 10 hands go up. And he's like, how many lost more than a hundred thousand dollars? And you know, some hands are still up. And he goes like, how many lost half a million dollars in a deal? And there's like a few hands up. And he said, how many lost more than a million dollars in one deal? And it was him and my, and, and the person who was co or was leading the group. 
and I knew it was high net worth and it was the two of them. And I was like, oh my gosh, wow. So I realized like losses themselves um, are, they can be educational. And if you really learn from it, when I lost $70,000 in one day from an options trading strategy that I didn't understand, one of my net worth was like 200,000. That was really painful, right? It was really hard. It was hard to, oh my, I felt like such a failure, but I learned so much from that. I learned that, okay, this is not the right investment for me, right? I learned I'm not, I'm really good at other things. I'm really good at working with people. I'm really good at other things like real estate where it doesn't involve like a specific pull this lever when this thing happens and whatever, but I learned, right? So it, it's all education. So if you don't waste it, and then you talked about another thing is really the power of mentors. And I think whether somebody's active or they're passive, if they're interested in, you know, uh, being able to, to learn and, and grow, it, it really expands what they're able to do. So you, you've done all that stuff. Um, you mentioned as well, um, I just want to shift a little bit, but you were talking a little bit about, um, you know, scaling up, right? So going from even a, you know, a, a single or duplex up to 40 units, I, th I think there's kind of a sweet spot when you get to about 60 or 80 units, because then you have more on-site people. It actually gets to be less work and people have trouble understanding how can it be less work? A duplex for sure has to be easier than like hundred units, right? But would you say it's easier or would you say it's harder to do a smaller deal than one that's a little bit larger? The larger deals are by and far the easier ones to do. The fourplex that I had, again, with the day job, about 80 to 100 hour work weeks trying to do all wow. the work and manage my, now granted, we were in the thick of it doing the renovations. You know, if you've got a fourplex and there's no renovations to do, then maybe you're not spending that much time. But if you're managing it yourself, if there are any renovations or if you're you're like own maintenance guy, which I was, um, then for me, I was spending 80 to 100 hours a week doing the fourplex transition to the multifamily side of the house. And I'm spending maybe 20 hours a week doing, you know, full time now doing like all of the investing side of, of the house. Now I could, could be spending more and more often than not, I am just cause I enjoy it, but it's not a necessity. You know, it's like networking and going to events that takes up a lot of time, but it's stuff that I enjoy doing that I know is ultimately going to help me scale and grow in the long term. But actual stuff that like has to get done to move the needle to keep the business going, 20 hours a week or less. It's really not that much effort required to keep the properties running. And for what you're saying from a, a size perspective, it's because we do have the on-site property management. We're not we're not managing in-house from a property management perspective. We are man, we are asset managing in-house. But at the end of the day, your property managers are your day-to-day, -day, you know, running right. all the, the primary operations. And us as the asset managers are just kind of helping them and making sure we're all on the same track uh, to satisfy whatever our business plan or our goals are that we set forth with our investors. Um, yeah. But they're really the ones moving the needle daily. So for us, it's like, yeah, I, and now we've got a property that I go to once a week for like an hour and a half a week. Uh, to help move the needle there. But even then, it's an hour and a half a week. Like it's just, there's significantly less time that I spend on the larger stuff than I did with the smaller stuff. And it's because there is the scalability. There is the economies of scale. There is the uh, the teams and the systems and the different processes you can set in place. Whereas with a fourplex, things get really expensive because if you did hire a property manager, they're going to charge you probably 10%. Or maybe it's 12% now. I don't know. I'm not in the single family space. Maybe it's 12% annually or whatever the rents are that they're going to want to take from you. And that's probably like all your profit, maybe. I don't know. You know, if you're only getting a couple hundred bucks a month, they could just suck up all your profit 
And that's the cost of them doing all the work instead of you doing the work. And now you're not even making money. Yeah. Uh, granted, you're, you're growing with inflation or with appreciation, but teach yeah. their own. So um, we, the title of this we're talking about is operating a, uh, you know, your property like a Ferrari. So what, what are some things that you found? Obviously, property management is very helpful. Um, are there any specific practices that you do as kind of managing the manager or keeping an eye on things that you look for or things that kind of have been a help to you as you've scaled up? That's like, oh, here's something that's actually kind of helpful when it comes to managing things better. Oh, that's a good question. As far as management goes, with this one property we've been struggling with in particular, I, again, have been visiting now weekly for about an hour, hour and a half per week. Um, and I'm meeting with, this is a fairly larger property management company. So this isn't a, a company that's got only a couple hundred units under contract or that they're managing. And we're kind of scaling with them because we've done that before. That was a massive mistake. We're not going to do that again. This company is a much more reputable uh, they've been around for 30 years. They have tens of thousands of units under management uh, within the area. So, of course, they've got regional managers and they've, they've got the whole shebang, the whole setup. So I not only am meeting with the property manager, our actual on-site property manager. I'm also meeting with the uh, leasing agent, making sure the leasing agent is there. Also making sure that our maintenance manager is there. They've got a manager that... Uh, on like the corporate level that manages all of their maintenance. Uh, also making sure that the CEO is there, basically the, the head of the actual uh, program. And then the regional manager is there as well. So I've got uh, all of the, the big head honchos. And then I've got our little tiny maintenance people and leasing agent and property manager. I try to get everyone that's actually on site in the meeting. At, that's critical to the day, day in and day out uh, operations. And then I try to get the bigger people in as well, just to make sure that we're all on the same page because there's lack of communication is typically the biggest pain point that you'll, that we found in, in an asset from an asset management perspective, where you tell your on-site management one thing and they just go and they do something else, or they say something got lost in translation. They didn't know they were supposed to do this and this happened and they didn't know they were supposed to. And it's like, it's always something that they didn't know, or, or someone did something that they weren't supposed to. And, and it's always small stuff, but the small stuff leads to big stuff real quick. Uh, and, and that happened <laughs> with this particular deal. You know, every time you buy a deal, you plan for worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. This is quite literally the worst case is what okay. happened. With well, this now, you're gonna, now you're going to have to tell us what happened. Why don't you yeah. give us the, the short version here? Uh, so the short version of what happened is we had to fire two property managers already, which was partially our fault. Uh, growing pains of figuring out what the best property management company was to actually onboard, which I told you guys, the first property management company we hired only had a couple hundred units. And this property was 148 units. And so we were a large portion of what they owned. And we thought that that was going to be a good thing, that they were going to be able to focus a lot of efforts on what, what our property was, too was. much for them. But it was entirely too much growth and entirely too short of a time frame for them. They couldn't handle it. And they actually made the property worse than it was when we first bought it. So we're like, all right, yeah. they got to be fired. So we fired them, hired the next company, who was just a little bit bigger. You know, they had about a thousand units or so that they were managing in the area. And we're like, okay, you know, they have a little bit more comprehension, understanding. They've done this a couple of times. They're going to be able to have the ability to do so. But they weren't 
they weren't integrated with like regional managers and everything else. We had all just our on-site staff. And then there are two like CEOs that, that owned the company. And so the CEOs were helping us out a lot. They were basically doing asset management work, being on site a lot, but it still wasn't enough. They, they, they made things just slightly better, but not nearly as fat, like as better as they needed to be as quickly as they needed to be. So we've already gone through two transitions and I'm sure you know how long a transition takes with a property management company. Wow. So now we've got to go through the third transition with a company that's much, much, much larger that, like I said, now has tens of thousands of units under management and has been around for over 30 years. So once we brought them on, things have started to turn around very quickly. But through the process of the first two property managers, uh, one of our properties, one of the buildings, 16 units in the building, all the plumbing just decided to explode on itself. Not from lack of like construction uh, acumen. Just bad timing. It just happened all of a sudden. It was the plumbing like materials itself because everywhere that it burst, it burst in like long runs of pipe. Uh, so oh, man. it wasn't like an elbow that wasn't correctly attached or, or a fitting that wasn't attached correctly. It was literally just the material of the plumbing all exploded on itself at once in this one building. So the whole oh. building flooded and the whole building was occupied naturally, all 16 units. So then we had to evict all 16 units because it's not a livable condition anymore. And we got to get in there and mitigate the water problem and they can't live with mold and there's water dripping down on people on the lower floor and Whole situation. So they had to be evicted. Well, then they sued us for a wrongful eviction. Uh, Didn't feel like they deserved to be evicted, uh, which I didn't feel like they did either. You know, you didn't deserve it. It's just, it is what it is. We got to get in there and fix this. Yeah, right. Uh, Of course, we fought that, but that was just another headache, more legal costs and stuff we had to deal with. Meanwhile, we're dealing with the insurance claim. And if you know anything about insurance claims and policies and premiums, uh, they have been a massive headache, now, specifically along coastal areas, but just all throughout the region, really. Um, because just this last hurricane that happened, Hurricane Ian, cost just one insurance provider, just one provider. Now, they were a large provider, but just, they're just one. Cost them, I think, like $28 billion in, in losses they lost just from one hurricane. Yeah. Uh, right. And that didn't even hit our region. You know, we were in Alabama, that was in Southern Florida. Uh, But obviously it hits the company who's providing in the coastal areas. So premiums themselves, you know, naturally our insurance provider after going through this claim nullified our, our uh, coverage said, we're canceling your policy. So then we had to get another policy and, but there was only three providers at the time and the whole more expensive. Yeah. And it was two and a half times what we were already. Yeah. yeah. Right. So now we're getting slapped with that. Uh, meanwhile, we had the three transitions and this property that's now vacant and we've got this massive issue with these other, uh, other properties because they, they were worse off. The first property manager we had non-renewed 32 tenants at one time and thought that was a good idea. And so we've been battling getting that reoccupied for the last two property managers that we've had. Wait, he didn't, they didn't allow people to renew when they wanted to renew. You didn't, they did non-renewals on them, basically. They, they did non-renewals on 32 tenants no, at one okay. time. Absolutely okay. ridiculous. No Way too you. much turnover yeah. sometimes. Yeah. And then at the is. same time, all 92 of the 148 units had aluminum wiring. When So we were in the process of transitioning them to copper because we wanted cheaper insurance. You can imagine what it would be if we didn't do that. So we had all that CapEx expense. And the actual like turnovers of that happening, 
like getting our property managers to manage people moving out and getting things in there. It's a pretty heavy turn, taking all the sheetrock out, redoing yeah. all the wiring, get everything put back together. Well, they just couldn't handle it. And the, the 32 units that they non-renewed, they thought would also be a good idea to go in all 32 units at once and tear all the sheetrock out and redo all the wiring at the same time. I'm like, this is just ludicrous. Yeah. Is, who would do this? Um, and so it's, it was just headache after headache after problem. And then dealing with the insurance claim in and of itself, actually getting the payout for the damages took about five months just to get the money. So we were using a lot of our own money to pay for the renovations and the construction. Yeah. But there's been a lot of labor shortages. So that's been also causing problems. And then material prices are continuously increasing. So that was another problem we were running into. Yeah. Uh, Lots of challenges. We could go on for a long time, man. I really appreciate the story. Um, uh, Man, I I just want to really honor you for the, uh, (laughs) I know this is like halfway through the story, right? You got plenty more to go, but um, for the sake of time, we got to, we got to wrap this up and we got to have you back for a part two and you can just continue that story because it goes on and on, but it just shows the challenges of operating properties and doing well. I mean, you know, if you raise capital for a deal, that's like, you know, 20 or 30% of the work. And then the rest is all just actually doing the work itself. It's, it takes a lot of effort, a lot of time. Sometimes things can compound and one thing leads to another is just to reshare as well. I appreciate you, man, sharing uh, all that you shared on this show. You also are adding so much to the investor community, both uh, and I, I think actually there's a great uh, input for people that, um, you know, maybe have kids that are like, they're trying to get them started in real estate or getting them going on. I think you're somebody that people should follow for that reason too, of, Hey, how can I get my, my, my kids or my nephews or, or even if I'm young, how do I get started in it? But you have the creative capital podcast, which I've been on as a guest, a lot of fun, great show. And uh, you also have the ultimate guide to investing in multifamily syndications, which is an ebook. Why don't you talk about how people can reach out to you, Josh? Uh, you can just go to our website at ferraricapital.com uh, and there's a whole bunch of different contact forms there. You can check out, uh, I don't currently blog or do newsletters anymore, but all the old blog and the newsletters we ever done are on there. And then the podcast is on there as well. Best way to follow the podcast is actually go to iTunes or Spotify or something like that um, to get the most up-to-date episodes. But podcast is also on the website. And then our all of my social media links are at the bottom of the website as well, which is another great way following me specifically on LinkedIn and Facebook are the two platforms I'm most active on. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for being here today. I appreciate it. Appreciate you uh, sharing how to drive your real estate property like a Ferrari. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. So that was a good story, especially at the end. He started talking about the issues in a property. He still shared that to this point, they have not missed their 10% preferred return on that deal, which I thought was really impressive. And that's a sign of a good operator is that they'll be honest with things that have not gone well. So, um, you know, in general, I obviously haven't invested in any of his deals, but he talked about all the challenges of, of operating a deal well. And to operate a deal well, nothing ever is like completely a science. Obviously, if you have a uh, prior track record in that particular market, like we've got 1500 units in Jacksonville, um, that's, you know, that's what really allows us to know that we have certainly going into a new area with the same property manager. It's a similar area. It's the same construction crew. We know we can kind of get these rents. It's much less risk than like, oh, hey, I'm a new operator and I'm in a new market and it's with a new property manager to that market. And again, there's just much, much more, there's many more variables, but regardless, you're going to have challenges and stuff like, it's like, yeah, all, all the piping just kind of exploded at the same time. Now it could have been a water pressure issue. We don't know what the reason for that was, but for whatever reason it happened and all these tenants, I mean, you can imagine dealing with that as a property manager. Sorry, you guys all have to move out because there's water flooding all your units. Like that's not a good 
situation, but that's when you are an operator in multifamily or any investment, you have to, you know, you take that on as, Hey, I'm, I'm responsible for this investment. I'm responsible for people's capital and it's a big deal. So, um, if you haven't joined our investment club, we've got stuff in the multifamily space. I still think multifamily is an amazing deal right now. I've got some videos on YouTube I did about why I think this is a great time. Um, and secondly, uh, we have ATM, an ATM machine fund that we do a couple times a year. We've got some stuff that's in the oil and gas space. We've got some other things that we're working on. So we're always working on new things. And really, it's not about necessarily what the investment is. It's what it does for you. What are the tax benefits? What are the returns? What are the risks? What are the upsides? You know, does it have a potential to double or go up 100x? Or what, what are the things that are there? So that's what we try to do on the Mailbox Money Show is really help you make better investment decisions. Uh, really appreciate each of you. If you want to reach out to me, you can shoot me an email uh, or get a hold of me on social media. My email is bronson at bronsonequity.com. Uh, please write and leave a review for this podcast on iTunes. It helps us to uh, get even more, even better speakers and love doing this show. But thanks for taking the time to educate yourself. We get to do this together. It's awesome. We would have no mailbox investor nation like we do here without each of you. So look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Mailbox Money. You've been listening to the Mailbox Money Podcast. For more free resources, articles, and videos, go to bronsonequity.com. There you can download your copy of the special report, The Single Best Investment Strategy During and After a Pandemic. None of the information shared here is an offer to buy a specific investment, and this is for educational purposes only. Consult your financial, legal, and tax professionals and use your own common sense before making any investment decisions. Thanks for joining us and be sure to tune next time for more Mailbox Money.